<clears throat> you sound awesome. I can do the maker knife voiceover with this voice. <laughs> Dozen open bottles. Oh, I lost my voice over the weekend. I had a cold, and then I went to the woodworking show in Springfield and met up with a lot of the guys and uh, talked quite a bit, but the cold is really what did it. And then talking exacerbated that, and now here I am trying to put together a sentence. Can you can you do me a favor? Yes. Can you say, make him an offer he can't refuse? Make him an offer he can't refuse. Perfect. <laughs> Very nice. And it doesn't open bottles. And it doesn't <laughs> open bottles. <laughs> Speaking of, Jocko, send me my knife, man. I don't, have, knife. I don't have mine either. I'm excited. I'm seeing people open them up. I'm like, oh, that looks so cool. Everyone keeps There's... asking me, what do you think of the knife? I go, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> like, you don't have one. I think it's going to replace my Leatherman. I find my le- I I hit. I'm not very coordinated. I'm just going to come out and say that because I I hit doorways <laughs> as I'm walking on my Leatherman all the mm. time. It's too bulky. I need something thinner. And I think and I mostly use the knife on there. So yeah. See, I was thinking about this the other day because I carry a Gerber, but like you carry yours on your belt, right? No, no. I, I have the clip clip in my okay, pocket. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. So I, mine has a clip as well, and it, so it's in my pocket. One of the things I like about this one is that it's got all the edges have a chamfer to them, so it's not sharp on your hand when you put your hand in your pocket, you know? But I use everything on this. Mm. I use the pliers. I use, there's a strap cutter I use constantly. I use the knife. I use the screwdrivers. And I really want to use the maker knife and, like, carry it daily. And then I'm going to carry two knives, and, like, that feels like... Hmm. I kind of want to get all Duresta and carry 25 <laughs> knives for no particular reason. I'm looking at my pocket now. I have one, two, three, four. <laughs> Although it was funny because the other day I... Five individual knives in my pocket right now. Various That's sizes. Crazy. I was doing drywall, and I so I had a utility knife. And so, you know, I'm like scoring something. At some point in the room, in the, while I was working on it, I put it in my pocket, and then I picked up another one off the floor and was scoring stuff. Anyway, so I go to Lowe's that day to buy some stuff, and I reach into my pocket where my wallet is, and I'm like, hold on. And I pull out a tape measure, and I pull out two utility knives and lay them out before I could even get down to my wallet. It's like, yeah, huh. pulling a Duresta. Yeah, the girls at the coffee shop always laugh at me every morning when I go to pay for my coffee because <laughs> everything, for some reason, I'm a righty, but everything goes in my left pocket. And knives, huh. razor blades, rule it. It's exactly the same thing before I can get to my wallet. They're just like, okay, yeah. we have people in line. Please hurry up. <laughs> Unpack think- your gear before. Yeah. Mostly what I use my Leatherman for, I would say, this is in the 90% range, is opening Amazon boxes or just packages that come <laughs> yeah. in the mail. Yeah. So I did just get this, a space pen. Ooh, yeah. Oh. And so I've been carrying that. Uh, and so I've been also carrying a field notes notebook in my in my back pocket, which... Uh, it's it's just faster to write something down than to pull out like Evernote or notes on my phone, and I can sketch easier. But I've been washing the Evernote notebooks. <laughs> oh, they have waterproof ones. Have you seen I've, those? No, maybe that's what I, what I need to get. So Field Notes has a um, oh man, I'll have to look them up while we're talking. But it's like a it's like an extreme. Whatever. You guys wash. You guys wash. You guys wash your jeans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like once a month or so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jimmy's like, oh, I just burn the pants and get another pair. Yeah, yeah. But they have one that's um, the paper's like a more plasticky paper, and it's made for like if you're you know out in Antarctica, braving the wilderness, and you need to write down a note. Or so, I don't know what mm. it's for, but they do have a all weather version, so you may want to check mm. that out. I am. I think. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to take a cue from you, Bob, and make my own because the field notes are just a little too big for my pocket, and I I, I want to cut them down. And so I'm like, well, why not, why not make my own? Why not be Bob Clay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not? I didn't invent the notebook. Yeah, um, I carried a space <laughs> pen for a long time, and they're super awesome. My I kept losing it. Well, not losing it. Like it falls down in my pocket below everything else. And so when I need a pen, it was like, well, let me dig down here and find this tiny little skinny, you know, thingy. It does have a clip, I think, but I never used it. Yeah, I got the one without the clip. But what I'm I'm putting mine in the the little tiny Levi's pocket behind the pocket. Oh yeah. 
And I think I'm going to modify the jeans where I, I just sew it so the, the pen just fits in there perfect. So, because right now it kind of fits in there and then it slides down at a slight angle. So I might, I might be Jimmy Dresta for a little bit and modify my jeans. Yeah. There you go. There's another thing I was thinking about recently. This is funny because we didn't plan any of this, but you guys both wear Levi's, like, and you have a certain number that they wear. Okay. Jimmy, what's yours? My, my jeans, 501s. Okay. So and you pretty yeah, and you pretty much wear those all the time, or do you have other pants that you wear? No, like that's different it. Types? I wear I wear the five hundred ones. Oh, five five eleven, not three eleven. You just like three eleven, the band? <laughs> no, I do not. I wear five hundred ones almost every day. Uh, five hundred. <laughs> uh, hold on, five hundred ones. Oh, I wish we had video for that one. Everybody would have loved to see that. Anyway, uh, 501s and the new Filson, like, uh, you know, their answer to Carhartt. Filson makes a pair of work pants, which I really, really like because they're kind of, they're like snug in the waist where they need to be. And they're a little bit loose in the legs so you can be more flexible when you're doing like more physical work. As opposed to Carhartts, which are like, it's like putting on a cylindrical tube, like mm. the hips, the waist, the knees, everything's the same girth. And I don't really have that kind of body. So I like the Filson pants lately. I've been wearing the pair they gave me all the time. And then my old standard is 501 Levi's Zipperfly. I can't remember why I was thinking about this the other day, but I I was, I guess when I, maybe I was fitting all that stuff in my pocket. I have a couple of pairs of jeans that are great. Levi's Denizen or whatever, and they, they feel really good. And then I have other ones that fit technically but they don't feel as good and the pockets are kind of short or thin or, you know, something. And at some point while I was doing drywall or something, my brain went to, it would be cool to come up with a pair of pants that perfectly fit and that, you know, did all the stuff I wanted it to do that held all the stuff I wanted to hold every day. And then just buy like 10 pairs of those and wear the same pants every day of my life from now on. And, and it was weird because I'd never really gone from a, to like a purely functional I mean, I'm fairly functional in general, but like, you know, for clothing, just like, I don't care what they look like. It'd be nice to have pants that did exactly what I wanted to <laughs> every single day. I buy 501s. I just go in the store, I buy 501s, 30 inches long, 30, I think I buy 32 because I like my pants a little crunchy and crunchy? 30, 33 waist. Lately, I'm a 33 waist and I just go in and buy them right off the shelf. I, I just buy like two at a time. And I wear them, and like I hardly wash them. I wear them until Taylor thinks she could sell them on eBay for thousands of dollars. She hasn't done it yet, but she always saves my pants. <laughs> so, like, I'll be cleaning the house, and I'll find a stash of all my jeans where the knees are all blown out and the pockets, the edges of the pockets are all frayed. I go through them. I just, like I said, I'll, I'll, in the life of a pair of jeans, I might wash them once or twice, and I just completely destroy <laughs> oh. them. <laughs> Crunchy. I got it now. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> so... Um, and maybe three <laughs> times. And then the new pair, I keep the newest pair always, like in case I got to go to a wedding or a funeral, I keep the newest pair nice and crispy with no paint trips on them. Because I refuse now to wear a suit. I will never wear a suit. I mean, I even, I even made sure people that know me say, you know, when I go in the box, don't put a suit on me because I don't ever wear a suit. I don't want to wear a suit in the afterlife. So I always make sure I have some <laughs> jeans with no paint stains on them. If somebody dies. Funeral pants. Yeah. My my hot tip for getting Levi's, if you want Levi's, is find a Sears because they're all closing. They all sell <laughs> Levi's, and you can get them really cheap. Oh, we have a JC Penny right around the corner, and they're uh, um, they sell Levi's, and they got a big section. And I buy a lot of Levi's shirts too. But I do want to say, um, okay, everybody's been waiting for me to say this, but there's a there's a big disadvantage to having carpet in my shop. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got holes. Oh. I'm I'm developing holes in all my pants. I work on the floor a lot, and I'm I, now I have all these holes in my pants. So I gotta I gotta go get an, another few pairs. Is that because the no, the, the, the carpet's abrasive? I you mean, said, it's just being on your knees in the in the shop. Oh, you know, oh yeah, no, yeah, you said you said the big disadvantage. Are you saying that having a carpet is a disadvantage or an advantage? Uh, uh, well. The, just this is the this is the the one disadvantage of having a carpet is it wears through my jeans a lot faster. Oh, okay, okay. I was gonna say because if I, I have a lot of holes in my knees and I would like to kneel down, on, I always grab like a moving oh. pad if I'm going, you know, so yeah, it feels more comfortable. So I'll always kneel down on a moving pad or or, or something soft. 
So I'm feels nice to me thing. like you should just start wearing knee pads all the time. Like build them into your jeans. There you go. They do it. There's a couple of patents for that. When I was making my own jeans, I investigated that. Oh. There's a lot of patents for that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but then you look like you, you, you got like corrected pants on. You remember the 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 iron on patches that your your parents would would put on your pants as a kid? They're they already come cut the size, and you the just tough skin jeans yeah. when I was a kid. We we had when I was a kid they made the they were Wrangler made tough skin jeans and they were for kids that were like rough out in the schoolyard and the inside of the knee had a big thick piece of iron on plastic and it was mm. you couldn't bend your leg it was like having a plastic hmm. shoulder pad in your knee and and uh, you'd wash them once or twice and then they would start to crack and peel anybody that's fifty is going to know what I'm talking about and then I would turn the jeans inside out before I put them on in the morning and I would peel out the knee pad throw them away before my mother would see them because my mother would be afraid that I was going to wear through the knee. So I would peel out this plastic thing that was like ironed on at the factory, but not very well. You huh. were modding your clothes even as a child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unmodding them. Yeah, I guess. Well, uh, what have you guys been up to? Well, I was at the Springfield Woodworking Show over the weekend, and that was fun. I got to hang out with a couple of the guys, get to see some new stuff, meet some new vendors. And I was going to go again yesterday, but I woke up yesterday and I could hardly talk at all. In fact, you want to you want to hear the predicament I put myself in? So yesterday yes. I was going. I'm, we're going. We, I'm going to WorkbenchCon as a spectator. And Jocko's me, going. Me too. By and, the way, yep, I want to throw that out there. Yep. We both just kind of decided this week to go. And uh, Jocko's going. So Jocko and I have been talking. He's like, "I'll come to New York. We'll fly together." I said, "Great." So I went on last night and I bought us both tickets. And my computer auto-populated my who I am. And then um, doot, 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 and then I get the confirmation email and it says Jimmy Duresta. I'm like, "Oh, damn! That's the one thing I tell anybody that buys me an airplane ticket is make sure my name says James." So I had a call up, called up whatever price line or whatever thing I was on. And I was talking to somebody in India, had to change my name from Jimmy to James. And the whole time I could barely speak. So I'm like, I'm doing this whole thing. It's going to cost me another $100 to change my name, like 10 minutes after I bought the ticket. And the guy's offering me flights here. He goes, oh, you don't have to pay an extra fee if you come home two days later. I'm like, I just want exactly that flight. I don't care how much <laughs> the correct. And I'm, oh, I'm talking like this to I'm trying to talk to the guy. And he can't understand me. I can't understand him. I thought I was going to get a <laughs> ticket that said, like, Jiminy Cricket on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. Oh, my God. But it, it took nearly, like, I hit buy. And then one second later, I'm like, oh, am I misspelled my name? Or, you know, I didn't correct it in the autofill. And I was on the phone with India for another 35 minutes. And it cost me $140 to change my name. Oh, wow. Oof. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I was. If I could speak more clearly, I was going to say, "Can I just cancel this ticket and just not go back on and buy another one?" I, but I, I was like, you know what? I'm not sure which is the better choice. I just stuck it through, and anyway, I figured that out. But besides that, last week I made three videos. I made the Lowe's video for the cabinets in the kitchen, and I made a a, a little shave box uh, out of aluminum and oak, uh, aluminum and walnut, and then I made my vlog. So last week was an extremely busy week. And yesterday, I just relaxed and did nothing. And later, I basically tell him made me stay in bed most of the day. So I didn't do much yesterday I'm trying to get my voice back. So I made this segment a bowl without a lathe. That's cool. That, that was oh super cool, by the way. Excellent Thank video. You. So, uh, and it wasn't completely my idea. when I, I uh, The week before, I made a bowl, a segment of bowl on the lathe. And a couple of people said, hey, I don't have a lathe, I have, but maybe I can try that on the bandsaw. And uh, so I, I took that and I used the bandsaw to shape the outside and a spindle sander to shape the inside. But I did it in sections and each section had a different router profile on there and then layered the sections together to create the, the profile of the bowl. And uh, really, really happy with the way it came out. And a few people asked, you know, is that quicker than using a lathe? And it is definitely not quicker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, there was a, there's a lot more work and a lot more waiting for glue to dry and everything. And then the middle section, we, instead of using wood, we took pieces of acrylic and cut them up and, and made that little feature section. So I've been really into segments and using the lathe and getting into that. I just made a big popcorn bowl for my, for my book. And that uh, that was uh, the full capability of, of my of my lathe. My lathe can only turn twelve and a half inches wide 
for a bowl. Uh, so now I'm thinking about getting getting a new one, something a little bit bigger. And uh, I don't do know. Do you have I, any? Do you have any leads on that? Because I saw you asking about it. Do yeah. You, are you so, leaning towards anything? Man. So there is uh, a bunch of people said, look into robust lathes. It'll be the last lathe you ever buy. It'll last a lifetime. And I, was, I, I wasn't familiar with it. And so I go to their website and they have, they're really heavy duty. They're, they're heavy. Uh, so there's no vibrations. And the, the bed does a couple of cool things. The, the middle part or the butt, the part of the bed that's by the headstock actually slides out so you can do bigger bowls. And then that is the bed extension. So you can do longer spindles, which is, it's pretty brilliant. And, um, and I was like, this is exactly what I want. Cause it doesn't take up a lot of floor space and I can do these things. I can do the transformer thing when I need to do something bigger. And I was like, how much is this? And I go, and it's like, it's $7,000. It's it, yeah. They're made in Wisconsin. And, um, and I was like, Oh, that is totally out of the question. I can't have the most expensive tool in my shop be one of the least used tools in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm looking at some other things, possibly the, the Nova because the, the head stock, um, turns out to 90 degrees so you can do outboard turning it also turns to 45 degrees and i thought that would be great for camera angles because right now it's kind of hard to shoot the lathe um, but i've a friend of mine said that you got to be careful with the novas because the bases aren't super heavy and so you get the vibrations so you gotta sandbag it or whatever if you're doing something some really large turnings so i'm still looking into it i got a lot of great suggestions I'd love to know what you settle on when you get there because, like, I don't turn things nearly enough to invest in anything bigger, but I have the same one that you have. And I have thought a couple of times about having being able to do outboard, you know, to be able to twist that head. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. Um, I think one time I made, like, a cake plate, and it was right at the edge of what it could turn. And I was like, eh, it'd be cool to do just a couple of inches bigger. You know, but obviously I wouldn't pay like seven grand or whatever just to be able to do that. So I'd be interested to hear where yeah. you land. On so that. Uh, one other option is you can get risers. So it, it brings your headstock up and you got to get a different belt. I haven't looked into that, uh, but a, a bunch of people suggested that. And that particular lay that we have also has a bed extension if you want to do something longer. Oh, interesting. But then again, you're, you're doing bigger turnings with... Uh, so you're you're adding a lot of weight to the top. So somehow you got to add weight to the bottom too to keep it steady yeah. and, and stable. I have a concrete floor, so I could possibly just tap Connor it into the floor. Yeah, that always freaks me out. Like the thinking of locking something to a certain position, mm-hmm. being, you know, putting it in the floor like that. But mm-hmm. I did I tell you guys I decided on a dust collector. Did we talk about that last yeah. week? Yeah, yeah, we finally got it hooked up. Um, we Josh put in um, a new 220 box to where we wanted it to to plug in, and so we plugged it in, flipped it on, and immediately hit the breaker. I was like, "Wait a second, what?" And that thing pulls 22 amps. That's the that's what it's rated. And so you know, usually something high like that would be the the initial pull right when you turn it on, but it's listed at 22 amps. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if they list the initial pull or what, but. So we had to go get a 40-amp breaker just to put it on just to make sure that it would be safe. Um, and now we got to actually connect it to the system. But, man, that thing is a monster. I'm really excited to get it hooked up. So um, let's see. For me, this week has been – I started on um, – gosh, where am I? I'm trying to remember, like, where I am and everything. I started on a guitar restoration, and I, David, you and I talked about this offline a little bit. Um, and I went ahead and started working on that, and it feels good to be working on a music-related thing. Like, I don't know that I'll actually end up playing this one very much, because I have other guitars that I enjoy playing more than I will probably enjoy playing this one. <laughs> but uh, it's just cool to be working on some music-related thing. And it's funny, because after working on that a little bit, it got me thinking about, well, you know, like I should really have my 
my guitar effects and stuff set up and the amp plugged in and everything so that I could just sit down at any moment and play a little bit and not have to set up, right? It should all just be there. And then I was thinking, well, my guitar, my effects board is really big and it's in the way. And I'm like, well, maybe I can make a smaller one. And then it turned into like brainstorming about making that. And then it turned into some other guitar related thing. And I'm like, wow, I just I have three guitar projects that I can do right now. Like back to back to back to back, you know? And anyway, oh, something you might want to think about since I, I'm assuming you don't have thoughts of playing out live anytime soon or, no. um, but I, I bought some, uh, off of eBay, you can get them super cheap, some pedal kits, some solder DIY kits. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make them into a, like a oops I hit my mic my uh, patch bay so I'm going to make them all as one unit and then I can patch in the different effects and then possibly take some of the pedals that I currently have remove the casing and put them in this in this thing and that could be a really cool compact way to to have all your effects pedals all as one particular thing almost like a Euro mm. rack thing where you could kind of screw the faceplate yeah. in and rearrange them and. Yeah, I've got an idea because I I have a lot of pedals and I always every anytime I played in a band, I was the one that would do a lot of the fill in. Like I would create the bed of sound or like the noise or the sound effects or the all that stuff on top of you know playing rhythm or playing whatever. So I loved effects and I would always have a bunch. And I I used to play at one point. I had my guitar effects board, which was probably thirty six inches wide two layers deep and then I had two keyboards and each one of those had effects so like my Rhodes had two or three pedals below it The uh, I had another digital keyboard on top of it that had its own effects and so I just had a bunch of stuff and like I would go have to take twice as long to set up as everybody else and uh, so like I could pare that down but I started coming up with an idea that's it's different than what you just said but it's another way to be able to condense a lot of effects into smaller packages and so that's kind of where i'm headed with that so it's just cool to have some music ideas you know music related ideas around and i'm looking forward to doing those uh, and giving the excuse to play again a little bit but other than that i've been working on this bathroom renovation and it's actually moving along like it it's it's weird when you do demolition on a room you know it's like you have a whole bunch of work one day to just rip everything out, and it feels very awesome. You get a lot done, and then the process of building it back up just goes into the super slow, for me anyway. It's like, okay, now we've got to cut this piece to put this here, and then we got to do drywall, and we got to hang that, and then we got to mud the drywall and sand the drywall, and, you know, it's just all these things. But it was pretty cool to end uh, of last week. We got to a point to where I went and did... Um, all the electrical in a day. We wrapped up the plumbing in a day, and then now there's drywall on top of it, and so it's it's starting to move back pretty quickly, you know. And it looks a lot different than it did midweek last week, which is really cool. Um, I'm sick of sharing a bathroom with my kids, so I'm ready to have my bathroom back. <laughs> but yeah, so we've been doing that, um, and then it, last night. Uh, Jenny and I were working on a project together, which is cool. We don't get to do big, like, build things very often. But she um, has this Star Wars character that, and Jimmy yawns right on cue. Look at that. that. He started yawning. I think as I saw soon as I said Star Wars. I, I think know I you started, started yawning before. before. I said <laughs> you did. I was just I kidding. Myself. I just wanted to throw that out there. I was going to say, um, I saw Jenny piecing this plastic together last night. I was going to ask what that was. Yeah, it's a helmet. It's this really crazy helmet thing from Star Wars, this character that she wanted to build a costume for. Uh, we're taking all the kids to a Star Wars convention later on in the year, so we're starting to work on costumes for everybody. But it's fun because it was... I got to teach her... We bought the 3D model from a, a place online, and then it's split up into pieces. It's sliced up, and then... So I got to show her the process of picking a piece, putting it into the software, you know, getting the settings right for how you want it to print getting it printing on multiple printers so she got to experience like how how they differ a little bit and so for the past couple of weeks we've been printing these pieces and they've just taken a long time and there's a whole bunch of them like 40 45 pieces or something 
anyway, so we got it all finished, and now she started gluing it together, and it's actually starting to take shape. And so it's pretty cool just being able to, to see her, you know, piecing these things together and getting it ready to start doing all the body work and all the painting. I mean, there's a huge amount of work that's going to go into it, and this is all her, not me, so... Are you? That's do cool. you have like ten three D printers going all the time? Or five? I'm a- I have <laughs> seven, five, six, six. And how? Just like I, you have knives, buy those printers. <laughs> well, I have, I have the metal printers. You have the uh, the plastic printers. Are they yeah, are they sure. running all the time? Like, do you always have projects cooking? Not really. Um, I mean, for the past couple of weeks, they've been running pretty consistently. Most of them uh, trying to get all these pieces done. And it's really amazing to be able to run five printers at a time. And, you know, that's a hundred, basically a hundred hours of printing for these pieces are taking 20, 22 hours, something like that. So to be able to condense all of that down to happen at the same time saves a huge amount of time. But it's funny because like last night there were a couple of pieces that I wanted to reprint just so that they looked a little bit better. But I couldn't start them last night because I knew that they would be running right now while we were recording the show. So yeah. I've got a couple of them queued up, and as soon as we're done here, I'll start those, and then they'll run until tomorrow morning, and then you know we'll have it all finished. But and do you? How often do you end up having a a, a glitch in the middle of like a twenty hour print? Does, does that happen often? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty often. It's not it's not consistent. It's not like a certain printer always has a problem, but it, it's just a combination of how the piece is oriented, how complex it is. Uh, and really one of the big keys, and you've probably already seen this as you've been playing with 3D printers, which I'd like to hear more about, um, getting the first layer of a 3D print is, in my mind, the kind of most essential thing. Yeah. Like, you should watch that first layer, and as long as it is solid, fully connected, it's not lifting off the thing, you know, it doesn't have any weird breaks in it or anything, as long as that's there, the rest of the print will probably go okay. But... I've had a few recently where I've set it and then walked away and that first layer didn't quite grab. And so then after, you know, 10 minutes, it comes loose and then the printer starts dragging the whole mass of plastic around. Yeah. Uh, I've had a couple of them run out of filament halfway Ooh. through a 30-hour print. Oy. So I come down in the morning and it's it's just floating above the piece, you know, not doing anything and moving, <laughs> still moving around. So it happens, you know, but... Have you been printing a lot? I mean, I saw that you were last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little segment in the vlog where I talk about it. It's it's pretty amazing, like, to be able to make the leap from fusion. And like I said, I might have said it last week, and I said it in the vlog. It is so easy. So if, if there's anybody out there, I mean, fusion is a, is a giant ball of wax to tackle, and then 3D printing is a ball of wax to tackle, and then to combine them is pretty amazing. And then... You could output it to, I've been using, is it called Simplify 3D? Simplify? Do you know what is that program? Simplify 3D, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I use that program to actually print from. And I'm just, I'm figuring it out. Like I said, I I, I recently showed a, I got to make 15 of these bullet bourbon signs. And so I can't really make them in the traditional manner that I used to make them with the bent metal edge. So I was like, you know what, let me just figure out if I can just digitally create these whole entire, the whole entire shebang, which is a lot of cutting. So I, I opened it up in Illustrator, and I, this is kind of computer talk, but I, I put a big, thick uh, border on the, the typeface, and then I expanded it, which turns the border into an actual vector. Phil. Yep, and so now I took that border, so that border is then going to be CNC'd out. And so just as an experiment, I brought it into Fusion to show the, the clients exactly what I was thinking, exactly what it would look like. And while I was in Fusion, I was like, oh, I could 3D print this. And so I did that, and it mm. did like a little one-hour print, and it's amazing. Now everybody sees the little bullet sign, and they're like, oh, my God, are you going to cast that in brass? That's really cool. Are you going to put little lights in it? I was like, no, this is just an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> It's uh, it's just it's just amazing, you know. Like the more I play with this stuff, the more the possibilities pop up, and the more I think, oh, I could do that with this and that with that, and uh, you know, it's it, where fusion a year ago was very limiting to me. It's not nearly as limiting, but I still have a lot of work to do, and uh, now I got to kind of make that leap back into the cam part of the software. Doing the, the that's the thing. That, yeah, that's the thing I've not touched at all yeah. is the cam and fusion, and I think it would. It would be worth the time, I think, to for me anyway, to spend that, figure that out. Yeah, I don't know if you guys follow lot to it. Andrew Klein on Instagram, but he's been three D printing uh, custom made 
tool board hooks for uh, very specific tools on his board. And it, it's a, if you're, I think if you're just getting into 3D printing and if you're just getting into 3D drawing, that's like a great project to, to make mm-hmm. because it doesn't have to be absolutely, it doesn't have to be pretty and every tool requires something different. So you're going to get really good at Fusion 360 or whatever you're drawing in and very, very functional because now every tool that he has that goes up on this board has a, a very specific home. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's great. And, and anytime that you model something for like to work in a real world situation, like with another physical object, it forces you to do things the right way and like mm. get your tolerances right. Whereas if you're just making like something to look like something else, it can be a little off and it's not a big deal. But yeah, if you're making it to fit a tool that will get you practiced in doing it the correct way and like caring about the details. So that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's all I've been up to. That's all. Nothing else. <laughs> we had a little it. snow over the weekend, which was nice. But, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, somebody left us a question or something about mistakes, right? Do you remember what that was? We were going to kind of talk about that. Uh, it was, I'll see if I can find it real quick, but it was about how do you hide mistakes, especially in, in furniture. Um, I mean, I don't think it was meant to be how do you hide mistakes on camera. It's like when you make a mistake in a project, how do you cover that up and and go from there? Hmm. Yeah, because I think I thought it was about hiding them from camera. Um, I think there's a huge amount of value in showing mistakes mm-hmm. uh, because it's something that will inevitably happen to people who are watching, and they, you know, if you if you hide them all, then there's this weird disconnect where they think, well, like, it must be me. Like, I must be the problem if I'm, I get mistakes all the time, but nobody else does. These people I watch don't ever have mistakes. That yeah. seems like that can mess with people. Sorry, we're, we're finally getting heat installed in the shop, and Brett's asking me. Right now, all the heating installing guys just showed up. We're finally getting, it's five degrees here in New York today. And, five degrees oh it's crazy the whole my whole field is still frost and the sun is up for a while now um so uh brett's just asking me questions about where the propane tank and all that stuff should go because we never talked about it we just like i ordered heat like two months ago and finally the guys are there today like unannounced to install it that's the way it goes that's so it i found the original tweet it's from kevin moyer and the tweet says i'd love to hear your thoughts on the art of hiding mistakes in your work particularly in furniture making but also wherever else it might apply so um, a lot of times you can take those mistakes and make it a feature make it a highlight and that's where a lot of creativity can can come from is just like how do what do i do with this is it so bad that I can't fix this? Can it become part of the design? Um, mm. Or sometimes uh, you have to get creative and 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 work around it, cover it up. Uh, you, Bob, you use the uh, you talk about in home building where every every layer of of building a home is hiding the previous inaccuracies, right? Yeah, yeah. It's my. Um my wife's stepfather was a contractor and he said to me one time that like everything is about hiding the previous layer. So like you, you frame a house and that's ugly. So you hide that with drywall and that's ugly. So you hide that with mud and that's ugly. So you hide it with paint and that's ugly. So you hide the seams with caulk, you know, and you just like keep going down until the, the mistakes are so small that they don't matter anymore. They're still there. There's still cracks between everything, you know, at a small level, but they don't matter. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could kind of uh, apply the same thing to, you know, furniture or anything else where it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be at a point to where the mistake doesn't glare out at you so much that it bothers you. And I think like with I, I, this is not something I have tons of experience with because I don't make furniture typically in the to the quality level that like a mistake is really going to stick out. You know, it's a lot of I do a lot of plywood and just like relatively simple furniture. But I think um, I've seen a lot of people just make sure that there is uh, when you're when you're cutting a piece, make sure that you keep some of the sawdust around from that piece. Like if you're doing a hardwood, imagine you're you're using cherry. That's a very specific color, 
And if you're going to cut through some cherry, make sure that you keep scraps and sawdust so that if there's a gash, you can mix the sawdust into some glue, fill a hole. If you have scraps, you can create a plug from that scrap to put into a surface, you know, in case there's a ding or you have to fill a screw head or something like that. So I think keeping the scraps around the excess is a pretty good way to be able to cover your tracks later. It's also really important to decide are you going to paint the project or are you going to leave it natural wood tone because that would really help in deciding how you actually yeah. make it. You could, uh, when you guys see the video of the, the cabinets that I made for my kitchen, I decided I was going to paint it black. And so therefore I, I was able to put nails and everything straight through the face of stuff because it's a bit of a rustic cabinet in my kitchen, which matches the other rustic cabinets that are in there. And so I wasn't overly concerned with like a, you know, the texture of the paint changing over the color of a nail head or the color of, for instance, wood filler. <clears throat> if it was a natural finish, I would absolutely make sure to conceal everything. I would use dominoes. I would use, uh, you know, nails that wouldn't show as easily as like a 16 gauge nail. I would Definitely go to an 18-gauge nail, be more conciliatory with all the different parts. Is that a word? Conciliatory? I would be more concealing with my fasteners is what I should say. <laughs> it is a word. I don't know if it's used correctly, but it is a word. It's totally used wrong. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really what you got to decide. So, it, it, for me personally, I know the, the amount of stress is completely relieved when I'm making a project that's not natural wood. And I can get away with so much more. And it makes my job a lot easier. Like this this cabinet, I built the I built the face frames, and I didn't use dominoes, partly because this whole approach was to be a little bit more uh, simple of simple of an approach for the amateur woodworker and people with limited tools. So that's why I made it the way I did. But because I painted it, that's really also a big reason why I did it the way I did. I can cover up wood putty and such, and not be overly concerned that it's going to affect the final outcome. So that's a big a big factor. When I made the canoe, it was all going to be shown. So I was super stressed out. And I did cover some big mistakes that I made. But the minute everyone... How, how, how did you cover stuff on that? Uh, I, I would scarf in other pieces of wood. If I broke a piece, I would scarf it together, which make a joint. And then I, I do what everybody does is when somebody would come in, I'm like, yeah, it looks okay, but I screwed up here and I screwed up there and I screwed up there. And they go, <laughs> I didn't see any of that until you pointed it out. Now it's all I see. So stop pointing mm. it out. That's what a friend of mine told me. <laughs> and yeah. so I stopped pointing it out and everybody would just walk in and go, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And I'm like, they're lying to me. They see all the mistakes. <laughs> but I got over it. And But it, it is important to be able to cover your mistakes. And, and Ted, the designer of that canoe building process, Ted Moore's, he always told me, I've known him for 10 years, he's always told me becoming a professional is just being able to cover your mistakes better and better and better. Yeah, I, I draw most of my projects up in Fusion 360, and the joinery is sometimes completed in the... Uh, in the software and sometimes not I just need to get the, the measurements that I need but since I'm drawing everything up on the computer I have exact measurements of everything I need to cut and that should eliminate as long as I follow the directions uh, any kind of cutting mistakes and so I, I hear uh, I get a lot of people like oh I don't draw in, in, on the computer I sketch it out by hand I'm kind of jealous of those people that they can sketch out and figure out all these measurements because I don't work like that but I feel like that can tend to lead to more cutting mistakes cutting something the wrong size and, uh, and so I use the computer to help me with that a lot of times my mistakes are uh, uh, I've drilled a hole in the wrong spot I've nicked something with the chisel uh, they're, they're, they're mistakes that affect the finish look of it and that's when i try to make those things if if they're super visible either redo them if i can or live with them or make them a design feature and reproduce that mistake so it repeats somewhere else so there's some continuity within the piece hmm interesting um a couple things that i thought of while you were saying that one about finishing um everybody can just go yes bob you're an idiot that's fine i don't care but I've never used sanding sealer before and I'm working on something right now where I was researching the process and 
got some sanding sealer because that is the right way to do it. And I've been using it. Um, and the surface on this wood is unbelievably smooth. Yeah, After two coats, yeah. a light sanding, and two more coats. And I'm just like, why have I not been using this? I know all the real woodworkers in the world are like, yes, Bob. <laughs> That's yeah. why they tell everybody to use it. Well, you could, use, you. you could just it's use polyurethane. Though. Just give it a coat of polyurethane, and that's the coat that would raise the grain. And then yeah, yeah. that is your sand and seal coat, and then you sand that. And then on top of that, as you build, each time you sand, you're smoothing it more. So sand and seal is obviously usable. I use a lacquer sand and seal, which is great. It's super smelly. It works. It gives it like a really, really beautiful finish to, to base your other finishes on. But uh, if you're just using... For instance, I did the, the painted the, the cabinets I made black. The first coat, I didn't show it on camera because it's a little redundant. I painted the whole thing, and then I just block sanded the whole entire cabinet and then painted it again and block sanded it and painted it a third time. And that's when you get a nice finish. Mm. So I sand and sealed it, air quotes, with the paint itself. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could use anything for that process. It's more of a process than a product. But um, I'm using a spray lacquer, and... It, it you know one thin coat of spray lacquer will raise it quite a bit and we, once you knock that off man it gets really smooth and I've done that in the past but I've never done that through enough stages to where you know now I'm ready for actual finish and it's just like buttery smooth so it's that's been a cool thing to see like I should have been doing this all along um, the other thing was you were talking about nicking something with a chisel and that reminded me of denting wood I've seen this, I've never done this, where you can, sometimes if there's a dent in, I guess it only works in softer woods, where you can use an iron with steam and it will release that dent to a degree and pull it back out. Have you guys done that? Does that work? It does. It, so, yeah. Um, my dad, he used to, he, he was a huge pool player, like pools and billiards, and he used to do a lot of cue repairs for people, and and the the Q stick, uh, the the business end of it is made from maple. At least, in most cases, it's made from maple, and it gets dinged up all the time. And he wouldn't even use an iron; he would just put a drop of water on there, let it sit and expand, and then send it back down, and mm-hmm. the dent was gone. So it huh. does work, even yeah. in harder so, woods. Uh, I was going to ask: Is it soft, hard? Any wood works? It, it has worked because you, you just expand. I mean, it works to some extent. Depends on how damaged the actual dent is, but it, it has worked for me, especially on uh, sometimes veneers. You want to pop up a little dent in a veneer. But another time, a lot of times, I'll, I'll fill. Uh, another thing I do is, let's say you you make something in a hardwood and you don't you have gaps and you're like, oh, you didn't realize they were there as you were working. You save the sawdust and I mix it in with the first coat of poly. So. Wherever it is, I paint the whole thing, and then I take sawdust and I rub it into oh. any of the small cracks, and then let it dry. And then as you sand it, you do it maybe once or twice more. And so that fine sawdust, say from the sander bag, for instance, will fill in all little minor, minor gaps and stuff. So that's that's always something to do in the sand and seal coat. Hmm. Hmm. Good tip. Um, Bill Duran pointed out one time that you can, and this wouldn't maybe, I guess you could use that on a woodworking project. Uh, a good way to fill a gap with something like in a, a prop or a 3D printed piece or something like that would be to use CA glue and mix in baking soda. I think it's what he used, baking soda with it. And that gives it a little more of a oh, mass it, to it. Yeah, you know? immediately becomes rock hard. Yeah, and so that's a good way to, to use a thin CA glue to fill a bigger gap. Um, so you can mix that up into like a paste and then you kind of push it in. Body filler, obviously... You know, if you're going to be painting something, um, there's a green body filler by 3M, and then there's a spot glazing putty by Bondo. Those are things that I use a lot in props to f- to fill seams between two 3D printed parts, or um, you know, if there's like a rough area that like uh, that's how I get rid of build lines in a 3D printed part part where you know you, you have the layer lines on something. If you want it to be really smooth, you can fill those with the filler you can also spray it with a filling primer which is just a super thick primer um and that's not really i mean you could use that same process to fill you know to fix a mistake but i use it just to prep the surface to get it not to look like a 3d printed part somebody Um, told me or i saw it in a video or read it in a book or something that the dap 
plastic wood, the DAP plastic wood, I don't know if it's DAP or DAP, is the same thing as Bondo. Chemically, it's the same stuff. Well, it has, it has acetone in it, so it will etch onto plastic. Okay. So if plastic wood has acetone in it, so that acetone will etch onto like a, an ABS type of plastic or a styrene. And I haven't tried it with the, the PLA. It might etch into the PLA. I'm not sure. Will PLA glue with like a methylene chloride? I don't know what that is. But um, acetone like shouldn't do much of anything to uh, – acetone shouldn't do anything to PLA generally. Oh. It'll it'll work with ABS. You can do smoothing, acetone smoothing and stuff with that. But PLA, I mean, maybe if there's some PLA that has an additive to it, but generally it won't do anything. Oh, yeah, but so I use CA glue a lot to just glue PLA pieces together. Um, also, E6000. I don't know how we got to this, but E6000 is just a, a great glue, all-purpose glue that can glue anything to anything. And it's kind of a flexible joint, so if you have something that needs to you know, be able to expand and contract a little bit. Um, but it's really good for gluing together 3D printed parts as well. I, just, I thought of a uh, um, uh, a time when I was making our fireplace surround and we were using ply, cherry plywood to make the, the case. And then on the top mantle part, instead of edge banding, we used maybe one and a half inch wide solid cherry to go around that. So using like real wood as, as like an edge banding and to get, to make sure so to just glue that onto the front, you probably would have seen a gap or you would have seen a line where you're, you're gluing those two. So we took that, uh, that edge banding or the solid wood and cut a thin little groove on the table saw to create this little, this little detail. So there's a separation between the plywood and, and that piece. And oh, that's so you a, accentuate that's a way of, that line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice idea. <clears throat> um, what about metal stuff? I mean, I know, you know, if you're if you're welding something and you have a bad weld or you have a little gap in a corner or something, you can always add more material and just grind it down smooth. But are there any other, I don't know, are there any other mistake fixings in, like, you know, surfaces of brass or stuff like that I mean well, I, uh, there's something I learned from an old timer and this is like an old this is a everyone gonna go it's duh obvious if you are welding if you're welding metal and you sometimes you're welding sheet metal and you and you burn through it you could put a piece of copper if you have a chunk of copper which is not easy to find but if you have a chunk of copper you could weld on copper and copper will basically be like a backer board that you could immediately remove so if you have a hole in like a in like say you're welding tube and you always end up melting through the tube if you're a little, if you linger too long with the heat, you back that joint with copper and you can weld against it, fill in that whole area. It won't fall through. So that's that's something I haven't actually done that, but a lot of people have talked about that, people that I've met. Um, I just recently, just this week, I made this bathroom vanity box and I welded the corners with aluminum and I knew I was going to sand it off. So I tried to do the best weld I possibly could because I'm learning this process. But in some cases, I just gobbed it on. You can't really see it in the video because I'm the editor. I can cover that. But I gobbed <laughs> it on so that I can go to the sander and cut it back. So I knew that I needed to sand it, so I put more material on it than I probably needed so that when I come back, I don't have to go back into it and weld it again. So that's you just mentioned that, but that's what I did. Yeah, that's typically what I do when I'm making an outside corner, like square tubing or something. Because I know I'm going to grind it smooth, so I always overdo it, and which is maybe part of why my my welds look ugly. But you know, I'm intentionally like building it up to so I can cut it back down. What about um, if you had like a brass surface? I guess you could you could braise a brass rod into a a dent or a crack or a something like that. Have you ever done anything like that? Um, you know, it gets a little tricky because, like, if you get to the melt point of brass, you got to you got to you got to use like step metals. You got to use like if this is like a hundred, if this is a thousand two hundred to melt, you got to use something that's like a thousand degrees to melt because otherwise you're going to make a puddle. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it gets tricky. That's why they sell solder that has step heats. So if you're going to solder a joint and then you got to solder something else, you want to use like the hottest heat first and then step down as you go. So that as you solder away from the highest heat, you don't end up 
reheating up mm. all your joints. And uh, I've never experimented with that. My sister is a jeweler, so she's the one who reminded me that I could do that because she watched me struggle with something once, solder it in like seven spots. And the way I, the way I was doing it in the video is I, I keep a wet towel on top of the joints that I don't want to reheat. So if I'm heating up a piece of material, I'm heating up like one half of it. The other half is soaked in a piece of wet towel so I can keep those joints from flowing again. So th there's a trick there. Um, brass, sometimes mm. if, if you got it, sometimes you just have to sand past the dink or live with it mm. to, to try and fill it. I think you're just going to basically make a bigger, a bigger scar. You know? Yeah. And maybe maybe that's not even a thing that happens very often, you know, having to fix a mistake in metal like that. I don't have the experience there. I was just curious. It seems like, you know, just the material of wood would be a lot more prone to accidental dings and cuts and dents and stuff like that. Use the CNC uh, more. CNCs don't right. mess up. It's robots. And it's super easy. You don't have to do any work either. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> uh, any other tips, ideas, stuff? I'm sure Things. more will come to me later on in the day. Yeah, probably but, think of some. You uh, know, the one one thing to keep in mind, you know, if you haven't make a mistake, <coughs> you can always start over. But obviously, you don't want to go down so far down a road. But it is a possibility if you make something and you make it wrong. Or I, I made these cabinets. I keep talking about the cabinets, and I, I said, "Let me one last look." I went back to the house and I looked where the one cabinet was going. There's a big gas line coming out of the side of the stove. I totally didn't even realize. So I had to make a big niche in the cabinet. So I went in with one of those vibrating end cutters and zip, 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 zip. I went in there and cut it and cut out a big whole square out of the whole length of the bottom of the cabinet, which isn't in the video. But you could. I always say this as a metaphor: like you are the the, the god in the world of that object. You can. Take it, make it, create it, burn it, make it over again. So don't ever let the object intimidate you. You know, that object should be intimidated by you. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. that's a good that's a good point. Um, you were talking about, like, having to start over. Another thing to think about there, like, especially if you're making a piece of furniture, if you mess up a part, you don't necessarily have to start over and you don't necessarily have to fix that actual problem like there's probably some in between where you can cut out a section or a panel or a corner or a, you know like zoom out a little bit and there may be a simpler piece to replace that's a little bit bigger but it actually takes less work you know like if you drill a hole in the wrong place and it's really obvious it may be easier to pop the whole panel off instead of trying to fill that hole and always have you know an imperfection that's like obvious whereas you could maybe be able to replace a panel um, and have it just completely disappear. So, you know, there are in-betweens where you can do a little bit more work for a far better result than just fixing the problem that you actually made in the first place. And a lot um, of times you can just, um, you know, if it's a, let's say it's a table leg and you, you ripped it to, uh, the width isn't big enough, glue another piece on there and cut it again. You know, a lot of times if you can find similar grain and glue those two pieces together, you won't even see the seam. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. You guys got anything else? Because we need to talk about posters. Oh, we do. Yes. So, last week, we kind of just flippantly said, Jimmy's going to make some posters with uh, his <laughs> saying on it, and we'll just send them out to patrons. And then our Patreon support went up <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Which is really so, cool. So did Jimmy's workload. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy's workload went up. It's not a big deal. It's um, to print posters is, is fun. Now, I, 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 as I get into the skill level of printing, it's it's easy. It's easy. So I don't feel don't feel guilty about joining. My workload is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to. Don't give us money. We don't want to put too much work on Jimmy. That's no. Um, now, basically, we had uh, several people up to their Patreon support. We got several new. We've actually gotten a couple while we've been recording right now, which is fantastic. So thank you for the support um, by everybody over there. And and uh, I'm not trying to dissuade you from doing it, but we, we do want to put a cap on it so that there is not this you know huge number of posters that we have to make and sign and ship and all that stuff. So here's what we're going to do. Um, this, this show goes out on Friday... 
trying to remember the date, goes out on Friday, the 18th of January. So if you are a $10 or higher Patreon supporter by January 21st, it gives you the weekend. If you are by the end of the 21st, if you're a supporter, then we'll send you out a poster at $10 or more. Um, and then I think, Jimmy, you're going to sell them after the fact, eventually, probably too, right? Yeah, we're gonna put. A, I'm gonna put a hundred on the on, on my website store for sale. Yeah, uh, Scott may even put them up today. But through through here, we we both gonna all three of us are gonna sign them and then the patrons. Yeah. Will get so them. if you if you only like Jimmy, if he's the only one of the three of us that you like, <laughs> you can buy him from his store. But if you, <laughs> well, you know that's that's to, that's to 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 capture. It's so funny how often do the three of us meet people on the regular and go. Oh, my podcast. Oh, you do a podcast? I was thinking it would be great if you did a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Like, I do 200 episodes of a podcast. <laughs> so, um, if you want one of the posters signed by all three of us, then January 21st, 2019 is your deadline. Get on there. Go to patreon.com slash making it. I do need to thank our top supporters, um, which are... You know, there's a, a more that are in this at the ten dollar level, but these are our top supporters. Supporters: Wise Old Dal, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Caleb Harris, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, BG Workshop, and Make Build Modify. Um, so, if you want to help us out at any level, I mean, even a dollar is amazing and helpful. Um, if you want a poster, it'll be at the ten dollar and up. Go to patreon.com slash making it. We would appreciate it. And one thing we haven't said in quite a while uh, is to – another way to help is to leave a review. I know that doesn't sound like it would be a big help, but it actually is. Because if you leave us five-star or four-star or whatever reviews, then it tells iTunes and the other services that we're good, that people like us. And so when they go searching for like podcasts it will suggest us which means more people listen which means that's good so another way to help that doesn't cost you anything is to leave reviews and just you know if you know other people who are into making stuff tell them about the show thank you yes um have you guys been listening to or watching or doing anything cool kyle toth Oh, yeah, he's making that crazy, skinny, yeah. skinny little vase. That little experimental vase. He's got a video on it that came out on the 10th. It's it's really cool. Um, hopefully this isn't an insult, but it kind of reminds me of something from Super Mario Brothers, the way it's it's shaped. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so it's, it's really cool, and uh, there's some techniques I've never seen used in a vase, and... That that's that's all there is to it. Really cool. Even like, so when I think of like awesome turnings, there's two names that come to mind: Kyle Toth and Frank Howarth. And if you go to Kyle Toth's video, the first comment is Frank Howarth, and he's saying, "I've been waiting to see how you made this." Very nice. So, oh wow, that's that's cool. so cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, I talked about Chris Zepp in my in my vlog, so I'll just give Chris another shout out. Check out Chris. Zepp, he has a channel called Make Everything, and Chris is like a younger version of me. That's what a lot of people who know both of us say. And Chris is a crazy machine collector and crazy fabricator, and he's uh, on YouTube for about a year now. And he's doing, doing really well. And his Instagram stories go on forever about all the cool things he makes and builds and finds. And uh, so check out Chris Zepp on Make Everything channel. Cool. Mine is absolutely and totally unrelated to anything else, but... He get uh, Jimmy. I don't think you've seen this, David. You may have. You ever seen Scott Pilgrim versus the World? Mm-hmm. I think I might. Have. It is. I so I started watching it again on the treadmill this morning because I was just like I haven't seen a movie in a while. So I started watching that and I forgot how just absolutely wonderful that movie is. Mm. Like it's the way it's shot, the way it's edited together. It it's based on a comic book and they kind of make it feel like you're flipping pages in a comic book the way the, the scenes are jammed together and stuff, it's just so good. <laughs> ah, it, it inspired me watching it because I was laughing, which, you know, I don't laugh out loud at movies that I've seen before very often. And I was laughing and going like, man, this is like so creative. Like they did such a good job of making something really unique and fun. And it was cool. So go check out Scott Pilgrim. Good music too. It's got good music in it. Uh, you guys got anything else? I thought somebody was going to say the colored pencil guitar. Because I'm, oh, I'm sure okay. lots of people sent that to us. 
Yeah, I haven't no, actually watched that. Yet. I haven't watched it either, and that was going to be my pick if I couldn't find something. I was going to pull a bob and say, I haven't watched this video, but check this out, because it looks super cool. <laughs> well, we can still put a link to it. It does look pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, this guy made a Stratocaster. I say, I've said this my whole teaching career. If you want to make a splash, if, you, if, if you're out there, you're a YouTube creator, and you say, I need to make a video that's going to get recognized. Make a big thing out of a whole bunch of little things. <laughs> That's a good. And the video one. will go viral. Yeah, I've been is. saying it for twenty-five years to my students. I say, you want to become an artist, make a big thing out of a whole bunch of little things, mm. and the little things have to be the same exact pixel. You know, in quotes, has to be the same. Thing. Yeah. That's it. That's the formula. That is the key to life. I just, <laughs> I just came up with. So make a Telecaster. Out of matches, but the match heads stick up out of the epoxy so you can light it on fire. Ooh. That's it. Yeah. I like it. That's that's a freebie. <laughs> you can have that. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that one. It could be uh self striking matches, so when you do the uh, uh the, the who, the guy from the Yeah, who, the windmill. The windmill, you could mm. strike the matches on the you know, the first <laughs> chorus and then you can't finish the song. <laughs> there should we should probably throw in a disclaimer about like when you get badly burned by this guitar <laughs> you can only blame david not jimmy and i <laughs> so you uh it's it's funny you say that like so you you can't finish the song there's a quote from kurt cobain saying they used to smash their gear that way they wouldn't have to come back out for an encore that's funny, <laughs> that's funny. pretty pretty inefficient way to not have to play more but yeah sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> Cool. Um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we're going to go to the after show, which is what Patreons get. So we'll see you there. And the post. And the poster. Love it. And the after show. I love my voice better than everything. Oh. <laughs>